0: This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. For a full year, we're looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John put together in one chronological flow. Ben, hope you had a good Christmas with your family and with hope you got everything you wanted,
1: including maybe a new vacuum cleaner. We spent our Christmas day with my wife. this is our it's become our Christmas day tradition is going to Riley. my wife's a, a nurse at Riley Children's Hospital here in Indianapolis and uh, typically because we get off, she gets off every year for Thanksgiving so we can travel to New Orleans, which means that she works every Christmas and so we spend I uh, take the gir- our my two girls and we go to Riley Hospital for our Christmas day meal
0: what a good idea, and what a blessing it
1: is! It really is a good is. way to be together, and
0: and kudos to Sherry. Yeah, one of the Amen one of the heroes, three. the nurses and doctors and others are heroes, especially during this this season that we're going through as a world. So way to go! That, yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. But we're going to talk today about some of the very early early years of Jesus' ministry. So we we fast forwarded. 30 years when he begins his ministry. And let's just jump into the the baptism and temptation of Jesus today. If that sounds okay with you. Yep. All right. This guy named John, John the Baptist, we talked about him in previous episodes a little bit and how he was he was born, he was prophesied, he became the person who was the forebear. And it says, uh, it says in Matthew chapter three we're going to spend some time in Matthew three, I think, today a little bit but Matthew chapter three, verse four, that John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and honey. Uh, ben, like, what was the period of your life when you just dressed, dressed or
1: ate really weird? Most of my childhood, uh, growing up in South Louisiana, you know, I never wore a coat of hide, maybe, <laughs> but maybe ate a few odd things or that you know, you, uh, you Northern folk might consider odd, like crawfish and alligator and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so I, I relate, I mean, as a Cajun, I relate a little bit with John, uh, though I have obviously uh changed my fashion uh, habits so no longer the the coat of nutria or or whatever hide you might find i mean for john uh, he's got his uh garments of camel hair but uh yeah we see john he's got a interesting fashion sense um eating locust with a little honey it reminds me of a story in this this
0: i watched this kid in on the playground in when i was in school and he ate a grasshopper And I just thought, well, that kid is both my hero and I think he was the strangest (laughs) kid I'd ever seen in my life. So he must have been like a John the Baptist wannabe or something.
1: Maybe. Full confession, I have eaten baked uh, or fried um, grasshopper. You you really are from the deep south. I've seen a chocolate-covered grasshopper. They're not actually bad.
0: You know, whenever someone tells me something's not actually bad, that doesn't (laughs) mean it's actually good. Right. It didn't taste like chicken. I'll tell you that. So here we got John. He's like, he's a strange dude wearing some strange clothes, eating some strange food. And yet he had this attractional, influential aspect to him. Maybe it was kind of like people showing up to watch, you know, a house burn down or showing up at a, at a big old car crash. I don't know, but nonetheless it worked. And it says in matthew three five that people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, so he was really calling people to a season of repentance and forgiveness mm-hmm. and they were they were showing up they, they they were being noticed it was it was something that really impacted people's Mm -hmm. lives. Uh, what about, what about you? Like when you were, what what was your baptism story? I don't know if I've ever asked you that. So.
1: Well, I was baptized as an infant. Um, but, uh, my confirmation uh, story was actually, oddly enough, I I came to faith in a confirmation class going through the Westminster shorter catechism, uh, crazy enough. Is that because the longer catechism is just too hard? something like that. Okay. The, the that shorter works. toward the, yeah, the, the shorter is the means to the longer. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. But, uh, yeah, I just got completely captured by this, uh, sense of uh, justification, uh, God's work to justify me, to make me right through Christ, uh, not through my own merit and just grabbed hold of, of my heart, which ultimately led me to make my, uh, confession of faith, uh, before the congregation where I accepted Christ. And, uh, so that's kind of my, uh, When I think of baptism story, when I see the story of John and I think of the story of of people uh, not just coming to see the show or this odd guy, but their hearts truly gripped uh, by this message of repentance that John is preaching, I think about that that moment when uh, that my heart itself was gripped um and i came to repent and can, Amen. confess christ as savior
0: yeah I, that's that's awesome I, I remember mine as well my my baptism took place when i was i don't know maybe 11 years old i don't okay. really remember exactly when it was and we had a a baptismal you know i call it the tub it right. was behind <laughs> the choir loft a big curtain was in front of it and uh, myself and some of my my buddies uh, mark and kevin and some others that I went to church with we we uh, it was kind of went through the confirmation process yeah. but it was a meaningful powerful moment in my life to be yeah. to be baptized as a young boy yeah. as a preteen probably and to set my my faith on course to to be a follower of jesus in my life i i, I wonder if that's what's happening here to a degree of course They were being baptized, but didn't know who Jesus was because Jesus shows up later in the story. They were being baptized for for the forgiveness of their sins. They were repenting, yeah, from from their sin and and being forgiven. And then, but John, you know, even though he's he's having some success at baptizing people here in Matthew three, still he he doesn't just stop there and take it easy on people. No, he he speaks out. To the Pharisees and Sadducees, two of the leading religious sects of the day that were kind of in control of the way people did their Jewish faith in Israel, they showed up to either witness or to do something at this baptism. And it says in Matthew 3 7, here's what John says to these religious scholars, the religious elite of the day. He says, you brood of vipers, you you pile of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? <laughs> like everyone else is coming out here for repentance. If you're showing up, who warned you? He said, Why don't you start producing fruit in keeping with repentance? Yeah, I don't know if that's like in chapter three of the book, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Um, but it, it doesn't seem like a, a good opening there. So what's, what is happening with
1: John? Has he lost his mind? No, I mean, John's given a prophetic word. You know, he sees uh, these religious elites, these religious scholars who have ultimately, in many ways, taken advantage uh, of the people who are self-righteous, who see the sin before them. And rather than uh, even looking into their own hearts to seeing areas of repentance that are needed, they kind of see uh, the people uh, through the lens of sin. They see themselves through the lens of self righteousness, and they kind of look at God as, "Hey, you're lucky to have us on your team." I mean, John's—he's not afraid. No, he—he—he
0: he, he dresses weird. He eats weird. He—he he confronts people in a weird, if not dangerous, way. But he also has a clear understanding of his relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. who he's related to in, in some kind of a way. And he speaks this in Matthew 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, referring to Jesus, comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Mm-hmm. Some, I think some places say untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's what's going on here? What's, as John's speaking about Jesus in this way, what is he saying about Jesus' ministry on earth and beyond?
1: Yeah, in some ways, I mean, uh, what we see in John is we see the humility here because he's, he understands, he sees his role. He's the one who has come to call people into repentance, to see hearts soften, to prepare the way. Uh, for the Messiah to see hearts uh, ready and ripened uh, to ultimately receive Christ, to receive the message of Christ. And so we see John's humility, even as these masses of people are coming out to John, he is always pointing them to the one to come. He's always pointing them uh, to Christ himself. And as we see John, even speaking of his own work, you know, the, the, he's baptizing them Um, representing the the cleansing that comes through repentance and turning their hearts over to God. He recognizes that there is this power that's coming with Christ, that ultimately it will be through Christ himself that uh, the the follower of God, the follower ultimately of Jesus will be endowed with the Holy Spirit that will give power uh, to them to live out God's call. Uh, in their lives, which is what John himself has experienced, right John yeah, uh, in the womb uh, we we see the earlier in the story, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know John himself, the spirit, is upon John leading and guiding him, so John has already already has a taste of the spirit's power, and he 's speaking that into the lives of those who will one day receive christ well, it's a powerful understanding of
0: his deference really, to the the authority of Christ in his life even yeah. though Jesus ministry had not yet started and we and we see that coming in verse 13 Matthew 3:13 then Jesus came from Galilee up north to the Jordan to be baptized by John but John tried to deter him saying I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me Jesus replied let it be so now it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all Righteousness, then John consented. It goes on in verse 16 as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It seems as if that the audible voice of God could then be heard mm-hmm. by Jesus, by John, by everybody i I guess it doesn't say right, right exactly right. who heard this, but what a statement from God to speak that this is my son the identity of jesus is declared for all to hear at his baptism there's some confusion these days right over the identity of jesus sure sure yeah and the the thing is if you look at scripture scripture teaches us who jesus is we can say well that's not real that's not true that's not right right but if we really look at scripture it's very clear that jesus is the son of god and that takes place at his baptism. In fact, I think not only did did Jesus know that at that moment, and John knew that at that moment, but Satan knew that sure. at that moment. Yep. So we go on into the temptation of Jesus that takes place, and it's we flip over to Matthew chapter four. I mean, just after he's baptized, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And fasting forty days
1: and forty nights. He was hungry. Is that the understatement of the Bible? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, he was hungry. Yeah, and again, it draws in this picture of Jesus' humanity uh for us, uh as we read that he was obviously just as we would be hungry, um, Jesus himself is I mean hungry. well, he was the son of God, so wouldn't right. it just an easy thing? He could just do whatever
0: and, and skip forty days of meals. And be okay
1: <laughs> right well again jesus is both fully god and fully human um as i mentioned uh, i think a couple of weeks ago uh, relative which i know we'll talk about uh, again in the weeks to come but jesus uh, the necessity of ultimately his humanity as the means by which he can uh, uh uh be our uh be our atoning sacrifice he has to be fully human but also has to be fully divine uh, from the standpoint of being perfect in every way, that he is without uh, sin, um, and it's just fascinating to me, this whole narrative here, you know from from Jesus' baptism uh, through the temptation uh, that we see uh, here in, in the wilderness, you know from the baptism we see uh, Jesus ultimately, though perfect, imaging uh, himself, um, identifying himself ultimately with a sinful humanity. That even though he is without sin, we see the spirit coming upon him uh, is, is imaging uh, that, you know, the, the empowering of his ministry that is beginning. Um, his, you know, even the dependence upon the spirit as he heads out into the wilderness uh, to fast for 40 days, uh, a time of of prayer um and then as we 40 see 40 days is kind of significant
0: in the bible isn't it
1: yes it is yeah. the fullness of time uh, this very uh, sense of a this full uh, a number of completeness uh, in the context of scripture and then uh, much as uh, adam faced temptation now we have jesus facing temptation but as satan manipulated adam and adam ultimately as we know eats of the fruit sin enters the world here we have Jesus being tempted by Satan in much the same way that Satan tempted Adam, manipulating God's Word as a means uh, ultimately to deceive, as a means to tempt, as a means to draw uh, uh, as he drew Adam in some ways to himself, draw Jesus to himself, to lead him into sin. But here with Jesus, we see him resisting the temptation. And so whereas with Adam, sin enters the world with Jesus redemption. Uh, For sin enters the world. So if,
0: if Satan is coming after Jesus like that, it's a bit naive for us to think that he doesn't come after us too.
1: Right, right. And we always have these, you know, it's crazy. I know we talk about this a lot, but, you know, Satan doesn't show up with horns and a pitchfork and announce himself, here I am, right? He comes manipulating the scripture. He even comes as... As one who, I, I mean, honestly, is uh, with this false love, this false compassion. Oh, you're hungry, right? Yeah. In fact, he, I mean, he's Satan's quoting scripture right. in his temptation right. narrative. <laughs> it's so
0: we have to not think of him as you know, with this his horns and all of his get-up and go, right. as, as opposed to somebody who is going to offer us something that's a replacement. Yeah. Or our, our service to God. In fact, I, I think something that's super interesting in this temptation story, it, it of course, I, I believe that he, he was tempting Jesus all forty days. And we have now hmm. sort of day forty that's taking place here. And Satan, the tempter, came to him. I'm in Matthew chapter four, verse three, and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus resists by quoting scripture based out of Deuteronomy chapter eight, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The context of that in Deuteronomy chapter eight is that if you go back to Deuteronomy eight, one, it says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land, the promised land of Israel, the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Man does not live on bread alone, down in verse 3, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So this reference to Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 3, is a powerful reminder that what God really wants for From us is devotion to him. In fact, the other temptations are also references to Deuteronomy. Mm. In the second one, it's in, I'm in, still in Matthew chapter 4, the devil, verse 5, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Commit suicide. Right. And then Satan quotes scripture, how, how God will catch you. Right. Right. Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test, which is a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter six, so, verses 16 through 19. And then in the last one, he, he tempts him to be somebody, be famous, be rich, be powerful. The devil, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus, again, to Deuteronomy 6, says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's What's going on here in your mind? Like all these references back to Deuteronomy that Jesus is using to rebuff Satan's temptations.
1: Right. Well, I think I think a few things here, but uh, mainly as I encounter this piece of the narrative, as I encounter uh, the temptation of of Jesus by by Satan, one of the things that is a constant reminder to me is don't strip verses from their context. Right? I mean, that's ultimately what Satan is doing. He's like, I am feeding you the word, I am giving Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. truth, but it's truth stripped from context. And so Jesus returns to the law in Deuteronomy to rebuff it. And so Jesus has a what we would call a full biblical theology, right? He's looking at uh, scripture within the context of the whole rather than just simply biting on bits and pieces of it. Do you think that you think it was hard for Jesus after
0: 40 days and the the hum, human side of him? Do you think there was a moment when he thought, "Man, I could use some bread or Right now, power sounds pretty good, or or as the Son of God, I mean, he was fully God, fully man, yeah, right? Yeah. And as, this, the, as the was the the fully God part of it was it just easy, like yeah, yeah, I got I got you, Satan, I I got it. What are, what are your thoughts? I don't know. Yeah, I've never, I've never even <laughs> I think, thought about
1: the question, much less the answer. So, based on your question, one of the things that that I think about because obviously Jesus is, he is hungry, he is worn, he is exhausted uh, in every way. And Satan is using that exhaustion. He believes he can find Jesus at this weak point, this physical weak point, probably in some ways, a emotional weakness and draw on it, uh, to tempt him to draw him, uh, into sin. And it reminds me, I was having this kind of goofy conversation with my kids the other day and my eight year old, uh, which who was just full of, of little one-liners. I'm not sure where she gets all of her one-liners from, but she just looked at me and she said, "Daddy, the heart wants what the heart wants." <laughs> and I'm like, "That might be true, honey, but the heart isn't always right. You know The things that we are emotionally longing for, uh, just because we're longing for something doesn't mean it's the right thing. And that's where, again, you know, so often we are governed by the circumstances of life whether it's heartache, whether it's emotional exhaustion, hunger, whatever it might be that's in front of us, we want that immediate felt need met. And what we see in Christ is that there are these immediate felt needs, understandably, that he would have being fully human. But rather than simply giving in to the felt need that Satan is trying to tempt him with, Jesus, instead, lives into the fullness of his own identity as the Son of God, and he draws on the truth of Scripture as his ultimate truth. And so the immediate felt need is not the ultimate truth. The Word of God is the ultimate truth, and that's where Christ draws his strength from and draws his truth from.
0: That's a great word for us, that when, when, we're, when we're tempted, and we are, yeah, and absolutely. it's hard for us, to, to rely on the word of God and to know that we have one who's been tempted in every way, just like we are. That's that right. He didn't sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, looked us this up. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Here's the part I love of this. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Amen. And perhaps that way out is the Word of God. It's it's the it's the relationship with Jesus Christ, who was tempted in every way, just like we are. Yeah. Right.
1: The Word of God and the power of the Spirit. I, the, yeah. the, I'm going to close this off just
0: with the last last verse there, and it says in Matthew four eleven, the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to Jesus. Hmm. But I like what it says in Luke's account. Luke chapter four verse thirteen. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. Right, It wasn't over. It was Satan's retreat, not defeat. And he would come back at Jesus again and again and again, and most famously there right at the time of his arrest and crucifixion. Good stuff today. Amen. Yeah, yeah. good insights to that. Folks, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or our church app, and click on the Life of Jesus link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the life of Jesus. And you can do some gospel readings and devotions and poems and all kinds of goodies that will help you really just draw closer and closer to Jesus. And uh, maybe next week we'll take a look at some of the early followers and even the early opponents of Jesus that come from some surprising sources. Sound good?
1: Sounds great. Looking forward to next week.
0: All right. All right. Have a great week.